Hello, I'm Lisa Kay. And I'm Taylor Cole Longacre. And this is Intentional Intentional Talk. Talk. A show that cares and brings purpose to the air. Today, we are proud to introduce Dr. Raymond King. He is both a doctor and an attorney, plus he's a filmmaker. He owns the law offices of Raymond C. King. He also has Mariposa King Studios. He's a professional musician, and he's a trained concert violinist, plus so much more. You can learn more about him at rkinglaw.com and mariposakingstudios.com. Please welcome to Intentional Talk, Dr. Raymond King. Good afternoon. Uh, Welcome. Greetings, Lisa Kay and Taylor. How are you all doing today? We are doing great. Thank you so much for joining us. And we're really excited about the opportunity to talk with you. You blessed us by attending Fellowship Power Lunch early in 2020, and the world was much different. And at the time, you told us a bit about your background of being both a doctor and an attorney. I'd love to talk a bit about that and what inspired you to take that career path, especially in my home state, Oklahoma. (laughs) Well, uh, I guess uh, to start that story, uh, you, you have to know a little bit about my background. I grew up... Uh, in Amarillo, Texas. I was born in Manila, Philippines. And when I was one, we moved to Manhattan, New York. And Manhattan is where I saw my first magician at the age of five. At the age of six, we moved to Los Angeles, California, and lived there for only one year before moving to Amarillo, Texas, which was culture shock. Well, it turns out, at the age of seven, I was um, the only magician in the city of Amarillo. I had, uh, at that time, started doing small birthday parties, and by the time I was 15, I was getting paid as much as $500 a show uh, as a young magician in Amarillo. I had cornered the market on civic groups such as the Lions Club, the Kiwanis Club, the Rotary Club. And uh, so um, then ultimately when I went on to college at the University of Dallas in Irving, Texas, I uh, changed majors four times in college. I started as a lit major the following year. I became a philosophy major. The following year, I was a foreign language major, and then I finished off as a biology major. I found out that if you keep changing majors every year, you have to take a full load every summer. I found out that when I left Amarillo to go to college, I discovered that I was never coming back home. I lived in a dorm for four and a half years in Dallas. And during the summers, I was working the night shift at the Children's Medical Center in Dallas, answering phones. And in my downtime, I was doing magic for the kids. I thought that 
at the time that it would be great to be a pediatrician doing magic for kids and then treating them. So ultimately, when I turned into a biology major my last year in college, I matched in uh, University of Texas at Houston Medical School. And it was in medical school when I learned that I couldn't be a pediatrician because I get too attached to kids. And I gravitated towards otolaryngology, uh, otolaryngology or ear, nose and throat, head and neck surgery. And ultimately, I matched and trained in Oklahoma City. So, Ah. So that's where... I ended up training and practicing as an otolaryngologist, head and neck surgeon in Oklahoma City. And on April 19th, 1995, the Oklahoma City bombing happened six blocks away from my clinic. Yeah. And because we were one of the closest hospitals there, uh, I saw and treated a lot of the victims of the bombing. Bottom line was in one day I saw 17 people die right in front of me, and it had such an impact on me that the week after the bombing is when I applied to law school. And and, uh, by fall of that year, I was seeing patients five days a week, four nights a week. I went to law school. Second year of law school, I got married. Third year of law school, we had our first child during finals week, and in the delivery room is when I told my wife that I wanted to leave medicine, which is, by the way, bad timing. Bad timing for any expected mother. (laughs) Yes, but my wife thought I was kidding. And the following year, I was working in a big law firm in Dallas and uh, representing a healthcare system. And uh, I stayed in the big law firm uh, until 2004. And when I left that firm, uh, 74 out of 75 clients followed me, and that's what gave birth to my law firm today. Wow. Such a fantastic incredible, story. Incredible story, isn't it? Wow, Lisa K. <laughs> very, very incredible. Yeah. I mean, there are, there are a lot of, certainly a lot of details in between there, but I kind of gave you the 20,000-foot view of how I got to... I'm kind of where I am, but, uh, you know, the, the journey continues from there. But uh, again, that's kind of an overview of how I made that transition. Yeah, that's uh, the experience alone in Oklahoma. I, I, I couldn't imagine living through that. And you're that's just an incredible story there. Yes. Well, um, the the date when the explosion happened, um, you need to understand that our administrative offices were connected to the main hospital through a glass sky bridge. Mm. And I was in the middle of the sky bridge six blocks away when the explosion happened. Mm. The force of the explosion actually shook the sky bridge and broke some of the glass. And I thought that a truck had collided underneath the bridge Mm. because it was, you know, over a street. So I peered over. I didn't see any truck. But when I looked straight ahead, I saw uh, clouds of gray-white smoke billowing behind the buildings. So 
uh, I went uh, to the other side of the sky bridge into the hospital, went to the third floor where my clinic was. I turned on the TV monitor in my waiting room. And they had, sure enough, an aerial view of the Murrah building, the Murrah Federal Building, a helicopter view. And the announcer was saying, yes, there's been an explosion at the Murrah Building. And uh, they were trying to determine what it was. So the first thing I did was I called my parents in Amarillo. I called to tell them that I was okay and um, that we believe there was an explosion. And before I could finish that, that phone call, all the phone lines went dead. They were all overrun. They were yeah. overcrowded. Even cell phones didn't work. Wow. It didn't work. I remember trying to reach my mom. My mom was a nurse um, very near the Murrah building, and she said when the explosion happened, she fell and chipped her tooth. And she oh thought goodness. it was an earthquake because we have a lot of family in L.A. and we're accustomed to earthquakes, but she mm-hmm. didn't know what it was. I was in school, and I was trying to reach her, couldn't get through. And then someone came on the intercom and announced that there had been a bombing in Oklahoma City. And so, you know, um, so many of us can remember exactly where we were at that time, similar to how I believe we feel about 9-11 and sadly how we'll feel about this year. Exactly. Mm -hmm. You know, Raymond, I think my next question for you, this is Lisa Kay, is um, I I have a feeling I know what this answer is going to be. Has God played a significant role in your personal and or your professional career path? Well, that that is a very critical question because um, uh, the, the answer is categorically yes. And um, and I think a big part of it started during the Oklahoma City bombing. Mm. Um, after I called my parents and the phone lines went dead, the operator called a code black, which means every available doctor go to the emergency room. And at the time, I was a chief of uh, the I was a chief resident at the time, and I was stationed in front of the swinging doors of the uh, emergency room. There were yellow school buses bringing people there because there weren't enough ambulances to transport patients. There were men, women, very few children. Some people were wheeled in with their own dismembered limbs in their laps. Mm -hmm. And during this time, there was no such thing as safety glass. Uh, There was no requirement for safety glass in federal buildings. And so about 80% of the people that I saw that died, died from glass injuries, just shards of glass, just stabbing them. And there was blood everywhere. I had filled my pockets with hemostats, with clamps. And as people came in through the emergency room, anywhere I saw blood, I would just put a clamp on it and uh, direct them towards the cafeteria. The only people that I treated were the ones that had, you know, needed an emergency tracheotomy or uh, they had an open chest wound. One gentleman came to me. He had a blood-soaked towel on his face, and he was actually standing in the building across the street from the Murrah Center. He had his back to the window, and the force of the explosion and the shards of glass actually cut his scalp from the back, lifted his scalp up and inverted it over his face so that his scalp was, you know, was just flipped over his face. 
I gave him some morphine and carefully replaced his scalp back, you know, that were, it was covering his eyes. And I, I was, as I was lifting and replacing the scalp back, tears were streaming down his eyes. And I said, sir, are you feeling any pain? And he said, doc, I can still see. Wow. <laughs> he he oh. thought that he lost his whole face. Mm-hmm. When he put his hand up to his face and felt mush, not realizing that all it was was his scalp was inverted over his eyes, mm-hmm. he thought he lost his whole face. Wow. And the irony was I was irrigating his skull, pulling glass out, and... Uh, suturing, resuturing his scalp on, but trying to keep his head steady, holding it steady because he was crying so vigorously, tears of joy that he still <laughs> had his face and that he could still see. Wow. Oh, wow. Wow. And, and, and he was I, joyous, even in such a, a tumultuous, a painful, devastating situation, this man still found joy. Yes. He kept saying, I can still see. Can I can see. I can see. And as I finished that last stitch, the gentleman and the the cardiothoracic doctor in the next uh, cubicle, he pulled a screen back and says, Raymond, we need you over here. We're trying to save this young man. It was a gentleman about 35 years old. He had multiple glass injuries to his head, neck, and chest. He had this glass injury over his heart where you could see actually the pericardium, the covering of the heart, uh, peeking in and out of the wound with every heartbeat. Mm-hmm. And he said, we have to save his life. He's only 35. I'm going to crack his chest open, and I need you to do manual cardiac massage. Mm-hmm. And this yeah. procedure mm-hmm. is called an emergency open thoracotomy, which is a very barbaric procedure. It's basically a last-ditch effort to save somebody, somebody who's in um, massive, you know, uh, cardiac arrest and uh and basically, you know, we had a medical student doing chest compressions, uh, you, you know, on his chest. So the table's moving up and down. You take a scalpel, make this curvilinear incision over the left side of the chest, and then you take a rib spreader, you spread the ribs apart uh, on that side, and then you cut down to the heart, and then you take your hand and you squeeze the heart manually. You literally had his heart in your hand, Raymond. Yes. I held his heart for about 20 seconds. My goodness. That lasted about an eternity. And in that eternity of time, and I'll tell you this, there's nothing as surreal as holding a young man's heart while you're looking at his eyes as life is ebbing away. And in that 20 seconds of eternity, three thoughts were shouted into my heart. Number one, life is short. Number two, life is a gift. Number three, if you are not living each day with passion, advancing the kingdom of God, you are wasting your time. Amen. Dr. King, have you thought to write a book on this experience? Uh, I am actually writing a book. Oh, yeah, because those incredible um, stories and descriptions that um, to share it with the world. 
Yeah, I am writing a book, but it's it's kind of a it's a unique book in the sense that um, uh, I'll tell you right now the the title of the book is called The Tapestry of Life. Mm. And it is actually writing at uh, perspectives on life from one from the perspective of a doctor or healer, the other from a perspective of a lawyer. And the third is a perspective of an artist. And and even though it is written in a secular format, the final chapter of the book which is the punchline that ties it all together. It um, it is very much a Christian uh, book, and it 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 shows how God uh, ties it all together. And um, uh, you know, my my hope in writing the book is to be able to share, at least through my life experience and perspectives, how you know each of us, each and every one of us, have been given a finite set of gifts, talents, abilities, resources. And the least that we can do to show our appreciation for those gifts, talents, abilities, and resources is to develop all of them, be a good steward of them, and give back as much as we can to show our appreciation. What a profound statement. And, you know, I I took notes from a conversation we had before, Raymond, and I noted that you said, if you're not spending every day advancing the kingdom of God, you've missed it. Yeah. That's very true. I mean, it just reminds me of what you said about life being short and and really to treasure and cherish every moment, treasure that gift. Yes. Uh, And especially in this time, these these strange times that we live in with COVID, You you know, um, we have, you you know, we start realizing and are getting new perspectives on life that we didn't have before. And just appreciation for things that we didn't have an appreciation for before. Yeah, I noted that you said um, a pandemic is a special time to reconnect with old friends. Have you found yourself making or taking the time to make those reconnections through this pandemic? Um, yes, yes, I have, and uh, and it is it is very interesting because uh, I tell you the the first the first three weeks of the pandemic, the first three weeks of the shutdown were very traumatic in the sense that there were a lot of a lot of clients that I had that were so impacted. Uh, just so you know, you know, in my law practice, prior to the pandemic, half my practice was corporate healthcare, and the other half was corporate entertainment. And ninety nine percent of the corporate healthcare clients that I had are considered non essential doctors. So we've got plastic surgeons and bariatric surgeons and reproductive doctors and everything considered, quote unquote, non-essential. Um, you, you know, one client I had, we had to lay off 63 people in one week. And, uh, you know, they closed down five locations. And I can tell you that um, in one fell swoop over that first three weeks of the pandemic, pretty much all of my corporate health care business just just disappeared. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. 
And there was so much confusion in those early phases of yes. what really is essential and what's not. And exactly. I think I mentioned, and my husband's a chiropractor. Well, at one point, he in one county, he was essential. And in the county over, he was not. And exactly. So like, well, where do I work or do I work? And then mm-hmm. he can't simply put a tongue depressor on someone. He actually has to touch them. And yes. so lots of yes. questions on especially those those doctors who are healing and touching people. Yes. So. Yeah. Well, Dr. King, your your stories that you share in writing your book, I can't wait to read it. You know, I have a saying that your legacy is the lives you've touched. And when you can share your story and, you know, you're helping others realize that they're not alone in any situation. So um, I would like to ask you, why do you think God would allow a global pandemic to happen because he loves us I believe just like any good parent any good parent would give their son or daughter the opportunity the opportunity to um to be able to grow and actualize who they have been called to be. You know, for example, if you, if you pray, you know, for God to, to bring closeness in your family, do you just wake up miraculously the next day and everybody feels close or does a situation happen? Maybe a national disaster, a natural disaster, that gives everybody an opportunity to really become close, to rely on each other. Yeah, and we noticed that in Oklahoma City. I remember for, at least for my generation, that was one of the first times that we saw people unite together. Everyone yes. was helping each other. And then with the with the um, with 9-11, people yes. were much friendlier. And you know, frankly, yes. in a place like New York City, we weren't expecting it. And yes. I did see that in the early stages of this pandemic, Raymond, mm-hmm. where we, we were all interwoven because we were all experiencing the same thing. We were all, you know, we didn't know what COVID-19 really was or what the impact would be on us. Well, I think that God has given us this very unique opportunity to choose between light and darkness, between joy and fear. There's no more in between. Mm -hmm. You either grab onto the light or not. And, you know, I've traveled seven times already since the pandemic and many times uh, and I've been to uh, uh, Los Angeles most frequently. I've been to Salt Lake City. I've been to uh, Tampa, Florida. I've been to uh, New Mexico. And I can tell you what's so interesting is it it has become very, very easy to discern who has chosen light and who has not. You're right. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. You know what I love seeing is we're so, the way our children are raised, I mean, computers, cell phones, mm-hmm. um, no communication or interaction with others. It's, 
it just through the years had gotten worse and worse, at least from my growing up. And um, But I love seeing parents out helping their children bike ride or riding yes. with them or walking with them. Yes. I love that. It's it's something we haven't had in a long time. And I think that part is also God bringing people together. Yes. And I think God is preparing us for what's to come in the future. Yes. You know, at some point, you know what? It may be illegal for us at some point uh, to gather in a church again, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, isn't it amazing how we've learned that we can still worship together uh, through electronic means. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I believe a lot more people have been reached. I when I was online yes. early in the early days, I saw people who I knew, you know, because you can log in to church. They hadn't been to church. I hadn't seen them there in years. And so mm-hmm. people are getting the ability to connect and to worship, but otherwise may not have taken the time to do it. Maybe because they didn't want to feel like they didn't have the right clothes to go to church or health yeah. reasons, you know. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yes. Well, all of this, Raymond, would would make for a phenomenal film just (laughs) to capture these feelings and thoughts and the transformations. And I think, you know, there's a rebirth that's happening in so many of us who are really capturing this time and and recognizing that this is this is like no other. And everyone wants to say it's um, unprecedented. But as you say, you know, God planned it to draw us closer to him. As a filmmaker, how are you uh, growing your, your studios during this time? Well, this is a very interesting story because uh, about eight years ago, I got a phone message and it said, uh, Hi, Mr. King, my name is Tomas Sanchez. I'm a filmmaker out of New Mexico and California, and um, I'm looking for an entertainment lawyer. And by the way, are you from Amarillo? And I thought, well, how does this person know that I'm from Amarillo? Has he's been stalking me? So I called him up and I said, how do you know I'm from Amarillo? Well, it turns out when he was in fourth grade, this gentleman, his family lived in Amarillo when he was in fourth grade. Not only that, his family and my family went to the same church. Not only that, his mom and my mom were friends in the same ladies group. Not only that, when I was in seventh grade and he was in fourth grade, I did a magic show for the church. And I produced him from an empty box because he was my assistant in fourth grade. And wow. this well, how moment, is that? What are the odds? What are the odds? And when he came out of that box... He knew he had to sign up for the school play. He got involved in drama, theater, and film. And when he got out of high school, he got hired to be on a show called Breaking Bad. He ultimately became the stunt coordinator on the show. And then after the series finished, he produced his first um, feature film, sold it to Amazon for about a, a $1.5 million, and then started a studio ranch in New Mexico. And after that, he started working on a show uh, that he's currently working on. It's called Better Call Saul. Yeah. And, and so uh, Tomas Sanchez, we reconnected after almost 40 years. Wow. 
And his mom and my mom actually died the same year, about five, six years ago. And at, at her deathbed, he showed her an episode of Breaking Bad. She didn't like it at all. She didn't like it. Oh, no. <laughs> and she said, why, why don't you use your God-given talents for something, you know, better than drug dealers? And so he promised oh. his mother that he would only do inspirational films at her deathbed. Wow. Unbelievable. After two, you know, notoriously successful productions. Yes. And then he makes the pivot based on the calling of his mom. That's and that's and then he is on set filming in Hollywood and he's uh, he's actually talking to a gentleman named Ray Romano that we're doing a show called Get Shorty. Oh and, yes. Yeah, and he was in the break room and he picked up a magazine called Angelino magazine. And there happened to be an article in it with my picture in, in the magazine. <laughs> and he said, you know, I think I know this guy. Wow. So, wow. There's it, no bad press. <laughs> it had, uh, you know, my office number. And uh, he called me. And that's when we reconnected about eight years ago. And then last October, my father passed away. And um, Tomas and his wife, they went to his funeral and we reconnected at the same church where we met as boys. And the following month, he said, Raymond, would you be my business partner? I think our moms would be proud of us. Yeah. And, and so we formed together Mariposa King Studios. Uh, we acquired his existing studio ranch. And so, um, so now we have this uh, studio ranch in Chama, New Mexico. And we've decided during the pandemic to expand our operations into Texas, uh, where things are not shut down like they are in California as well as New Mexico. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so that's why um, I'm very pleased to announce that we will be opening uh, very soon uh, Mariposa King Studios in Texas. In Texas. Yes. <laughs> We're looking forward to that. Yes. And hopefully people have heard it maybe first here. <laughs> Yes, this is probably the first announcement uh, you will hear about it. But um, uh, I can't tell you the specific location, but I can tell you that we will have 800 acres to be able to film in. And uh, we're getting support from some very, uh, very notable, um, legendary uh, Texas names nice. that um, that will be working with us in the studio. Yeah, so, we cannot wait for that. Yeah. Very excited. Very exciting, Dr. King. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> um, yeah. So this is uh, this has been very exciting, and and uh, what is so interesting is that about. Three years ago, my wife asked me, she said, Raymond, are you going to change careers again? <laughs> and I promised her I wouldn't do it, at least until our youngest was in college. And guess what? He started college. Uh, our youngest uh, started college, um, you know, uh, two months ago at A&M. Yay. Much different and, experience, though, yeah. in college, right? This year, much different, different experience. than your experience at OCU or... <laughs> Yes. yes. <laughs> and um, and so um, 
Yeah, and miraculously, the pandemic has turbocharged my my practice, my career, into pretty much purely entertainment is what I'm doing now. Wow. Wow. I'd like to hear about your family real quick. So sure. how long have you been married? How many children? Yes, my wife and I have been married for 23 years. Nice. Uh, we celebrated our 23rd anniversary this year. And... Um, yeah, she, she is probably one of the most, um, independent minded uh, people I've ever met. She is so, uh, uh, well, just to give you an example when, um, and we have two boys, uh, aged 18 and 21. And when, um, we moved to, Uh, Rockwall, which is where we live. When we moved here uh, 22 years ago, 21 years ago, um, she became a stay-at-home mom. And as a stay-at-home mom, you know, her her training is in audiology, which is doing hearing monitoring, hearing testing, and fitting hearing aids. And the trend in that profession, because it's a master's uh, degree, uh, the trend in that profession is to get a doctorate degree. So as uh, a stay-at-home mom with two babies, she took one course every semester for four and a half years. And she got her doctorate degree as a stay-at-home mom. And, yeah. I love it. Yes, and by the time our youngest was um, six, uh, you know, we we went to Michigan, Northern Michigan University, and she got her uh, her doctorate. Um, and I was so proud of her, but I was just thinking, you know, this is uh, this is a very smart, independent woman, and uh, you know, she she has truly been the secret of my success. Uh, the the fact that she's always been here to hold the fort down as I'm as I'm out trying to uh, combine passion with profession. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, congratulations on a successful marriage and also mm-hmm. raising two kids and in school. That, with all the things that you have going on, Raymond, is certainly no small feat. Yeah. Lots of miracles, Sarah. Yes, definitely. Thanks for having me. Yes, You're we- quite welcome. We look forward to staying connected with you, Dr. Raymond King, with yep. all of the exciting things you have happening, especially with Mariposa King Studios. So everyone will want to be sure to tune into this episode of Intentional Talk with Lisa Kay and Taylor, wherever you can get your podcasts and on Prey.com. Also be sure to follow us on social media and on Intentional Talk. Thank you for joining us. Thank you.